Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. I'd like to talk about the ego. The title of this podcast is Ego is Your Enemy. It makes sense to define what the ego is. It generally refers to an exaggerated sense of self-importance, which usually results in an excessive preoccupation with self. Do you know, it seems like everywhere you look today, there are people that laud their abilities, constantly bringing up the fact that they are correct, that they are the best, that they are successful, that a lot of people watch them. Our contemporary culture trains us to seek fame and satisfaction from others. Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy. I read it about four years ago, and there is a great quote that sums it up. It says, impressing people is utterly different from being truly impressive. And Newman Ali Khan said, If someone corrects you and you feel offended, then you have an ego problem. I think this is a good place to talk about the untold story. And the first one is Benedict Arnold. Now, you know him as one of history's greatest backstabbers. His name is synonymous with traitor. But what's the backstory here? Well, It might surprise you to know that he was a successful general in several battles in the Revolutionary War. He had the confidence of George Washington. He was given command of West Point. But what happened? He was caught trying to surrender West Point to the British. See, it was a hub in the war, and if the British were to control it, it would have given them a decisive advantage in the war. But why would he do such a thing? It's got to be big, right? I mean, it's got to be something that is so significant for him to become a traitor of his own country. Well, it's not. It's rumored that the reason he did it was that he was jealous of other officers. He also claimed that he was repeatedly passed over for promotions and that others got credit for some of his accomplishment. He also felt like he disagreed with the Continental Congress, and that they were basically out to get him. Due to his betrayal, listen to this, he later fought against the very troops he commanded. I didn't know this. He almost captured Thomas Jefferson, and he fought against Connecticut, his home state where he was born. In the Bible, I've always been struck by a story, the book of Esther. If you ever get a chance, you should read that book. It's not very long, but is truly an excellent read. And there's a figure in this book, 
and it's Haman, and he's a political advisor. He's second in command to King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes was a Persian ruler who ruled a significant portion of the known world. He was a powerful king, and you can read about him in history. But Haman was so important to the king, and he was such an elevated figure that when people would see him, they would bow down to him. So imagine this. Why would he be so brazen that he would get the king to write a decree to destroy all Jews, young and old, within the province? Why would he do this? Listen to this. Because one man wouldn't bow down in reverence to him. Ego is our enemy. Ego is our enemy. As I thought about this subject, you know, and I was studying on Benedict Arnold and and Haman, it did take me back to the story of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. I want you to imagine this. I'm going to have a little bit of liberty here because I want to paint the story for you. But imagine this, that Eve is walking around in the garden, deciding what she's going to do for the day. And she's thinking to herself, you know, should Adam and I go for a walk or should we go to the lake? You know, what should we do? If we go to the lake, we can watch the animals as they gather there to drink. Or or would I want to watch the birds, you know, uh, the birds sing? You know, would we want, want to do that? And, you know, what what food should I prepare? You know, what, what kind of food should I prepare? And I mean, after all, it's kind of a perpetual vacation, right? She, they can pretty much do whatever they want. It's blissful living. Why? She, she has no need to work. I didn't read that anywhere. No stress, no fear, no worries at all. I didn't see that anywhere there. And I also saw that probably like you. I'm like, that sounds pretty good, right? That sounds really great. So when the devil approached Eve on that fateful day, do you think it was the taste of the fruit that she desired? Do you? Would it surprise you to know that the total number of edible plants is around 2,000? Would you agree with me that she had a lot of variety to choose from? And I want you to think about the garden because all of us have probably really small gardens if we have a garden at all. Adam and Eve's garden was so big that it had a river running into it with four rivers attached, four unique rivers. So let's unpack this a little more. Eve, what was she thinking? What was the draw? Well, you can trace ego all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve became stirred by Satan's lie that she could be like God. She completely ignored God's command and the consequences that he said would come if either one of them ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, for his part, he blatantly negated the penalty of death that God had given. But what did Satan do? Listen to this. He cast doubt over God's character, suggesting that God was jealous, holding them back from their destiny. Satan posed that God was holding them back from being just like him. So think about this. What was he offering them? The ability to be like God. The ability to have the knowledge like God. That they could discern just like God. You'll be 
just like God, knowing everything ranging all the way from good to evil. Now I ask you, where did Satan come up with this lie? Well, let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, because we start to see a picture unfold here. And this is the judgment for him. But I want you to read this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. What do we see emerging here? What is the story that our enemy is raising? Well, it started with himself. He said, if you look at that verse critically, look at the number of times I is used. I will ascend. I will raise. I will sit. I will ascend. I will make myself like the Most High God. And we see from Ezekiel 28, 12, and 15 that he remained perfect in his ways until iniquity was found in him. What was this iniquity? We read in verse 17, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. See, Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. Do you know that as a result of this, his name changed from Lucifer to Satan? You know what that means? Lucifer means morning star, and Satan means adversary. He went from guiding others into worship to becoming an adversary. Do you know that he not only did he play that lie for Adam and Eve and they bought it, but he tried to play that lie on Jesus. You know that Jesus had a purpose when he came to this earth. Do you know that when his ministry began, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? Now, folks, that's near death. That is near death. If you've ever fasted any period of time, you literally are starving. His body was literally eating itself. And at that time, Satan tried to play the same lie on Jesus that he did on Adam and Eve. He said, just like to Eve, he said, you will be like God. But to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. It's all ego. It's a play. At our moment of greatest weakness, Jesus' moment of greatest weakness, the temptation came, but unlike Adam and Eve, he was able to withstand and fulfill the destiny 
that his father called him to. See, the dangers of ego are significant. They etch God out of our lives and they destroy relationships in our path. You might be asking yourself, how do you know if your ego is out of control? Well, let me ask you two questions. Have you ever felt superior to others? Have you ever felt inferior to others? Because if you answered yes to either one of those questions or both, ego is out of control. And from a purely scriptural perspective, it means that we're not living by the Spirit, but in reaction to those two things. You would agree with me that the ego is insatiable. It's hungry and it needs to be fed. And what does it need to be fed with? Praise. It constantly wants more. Now, my story is an interesting one. I'll I'll give a couple because when you think about inferiority and how that could drive the ego, it got me thinking about my childhood. And when I was young, I was constantly made fun of because I was so thin. I was born three pounds, 12 ounces, and it was as if I never really ever gained weight, not until I was much, much older. So I was really thin and I got called names constantly, skin and bones, toothpick, skinny, anorexic. Well, this caused major insecurities for me growing up. In fact, I wouldn't even go into a swimming pool because I didn't want others to see me. If I did, I was constantly worried that they would be staring at me. Now, you might ask, well, you know, how has this impacted my life? Well, it manifested itself in a way that caused me to be overly concerned with my appearance. Once I got to a certain point, it was all about how I look, how I dress, how I appear to other people. And my family will tell you that I care very much about these things. And this is where the problem occurs. It can turn into feeding the ego, which is not healthy. The good news is now that I'm much older and I've grown in maturity, it's so much less important than it was in my formative years, my teen years and my young adult years. But it was all about how do I look to others and what do they think of me? And that's a good example of inferiority driving the ego. Now, as to superiority, I'm guilty there too. My ego would tell me that I've never, I would never act in a way that would cause me to be superior over others. But that isn't necessarily being honest. I bet if you were to ask my wife if she's ever felt that her opinion has been disregarded because I know better than she does, she'd give you a resounding yes, and perhaps she might give you a list. For example, many years ago, I wanted to buy a new car when we lived in New York. We had discussed it at the margins, really. But then one day, I went looking for cars, and I found one and pulled up in it that night. You can imagine my wife's disdain. She was hurt because she wasn't consulted in the process, nor could she really celebrate the purchase as it had been done without her. 
As a couple, her frame of reference was, we always make big purchases together. When thinking about a runaway ego, there are so many examples we could cite. Maybe you're a tough person and say, I can handle this. I got it. Perhaps gossiping about others makes you feel good, satisfies the ego, or it could be buying something new every month that you really don't need. Maybe you feel like you're always missing something, wanting something more. Or maybe it's about always having to be right. Or you have a hard time losing, hard time asking for help, constantly seeking approval from others. Or compare your life to everyone else's. And lastly, having a hard time being in the present moment because you're always thinking about the past. I quote the Bible a lot because it's the guide, like it's the standard for how to love other people and to live this life and to to chart this journey, right? And, And there are several curious things it says. It says, die to the flesh. In another place, it says, to put away the deeds of the flesh. It also says that we should decrease, that our Creator might increase. It says, be on guard about the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. All that seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? So what are those scriptures really trying to tell us? I believe that the Bible is filled with admonitions against the ego because of man's inherent desire to be worshipped. We've already named several examples of what Satan did to try to tempt both Jesus and Adam and Eve. Do you know that all various forms of modern idolatry have ego at their very core? It probably doesn't surprise you to know that the opposite of ego is humility. Isn't it true that many of us hate admitting our faults and limitations? It is like pulling teeth to apologize for many of us. It's so hard to do. And perhaps it's because we're scared to face the insignificance of our existence. We don't want to face our fears. So we hide behind the facade of security and certainty. All this is about disguising ourselves with success and comfort. And we do that by overemphasizing our images so that we can feel better about ourselves. Now, you might ask, how does humility change our day-to-day lives? Let's go back and look at the car example that I mentioned earlier. I should have consulted my wife as I had done in prior purchases versus letting my ego tell me that it was my decision and it was okay, she wouldn't mind. But if you look at that through the lens of humility, I would have actually put her needs first and considered her views above my own. In that case, the car could never have been purchased without her. But had we done it together, she would have really enjoyed it. Why are we asked to push ego down? Because it actually keeps us from reaching our full potential, the fullness that our Creator intends for us. Ego, it turns out, is one big distraction. It creates blind spots that you can't see, but that is readily seen by those around you. Think about this. Blind spots. You look in that rear view mirror, or you look in that side mirror, and there's, there are spots that you cannot see. 
when others around you can clearly see them. I opened with a quote out of the book, Ego is the Enemy. The quote was by Robert Chin. Impressing people is utterly different from being truly impressive. See, the opposite of ego is humility. And that's a modest or low view of one's own importance, one's own humbleness. The great boxer Mike Tyson said, If you are not humble, the world will visit humility upon you. I think that's an amazing, amazing summation for a boxer who was successful as he was. But did you know the most transformational figure to ever walk the earth said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Think about this man, Jesus Christ. He seemingly never took credit for anything. If you don't believe me, read the four Gospels and you will see over and over again where he says, tell no one after he would perform a miracle. You see a man who says, not my will, but yours be done. He said, love your enemies and pray for them. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve you. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His words are so powerful. Why? Because this man who never traveled outside the size of the state of New Hampshire The area, the territory he was in, was no bigger than the size of New Hampshire, yet captured the hearts and minds of billions of people. He is the most transformational figure in all human history, and he is telling us to walk humbly. See, his actions are self-sacrificing. He humbly endured the tortures of the cross so that we could be reconciled to our Father in heaven. He said, I came to give my life away to a brutal crucifixion in order to rescue you. Well, what happened to Benedict Arnold? Despite the fact that Washington tried to have him captured, he fled to Britain. But guess what? He wasn't liked much either. I wonder why. Both friend and foe for the rest of his life thought of him as a traitor. He failed in several business adventures, tried to get the British government to give him positions of authority, but wouldn't you believe it's because they couldn't trust him. He visited upon his family a name that will forever go down in infamy. And what of Haman? We started, we talked about him as well. Well, he erected, I believe, gallows that were 75 feet tall to kill Jews on He was killed on those very gallows. And what of Adam and Eve after they ate that fruit? What happened after that fateful incident in the garden? Do you think they experienced all that they thought they would? Knowledge, wisdom, and I get to be just like God. Not exactly. Well, the blissful living went away immediately. 
They sewed fig leaves together. As they heard God walking, they hid from him, which had never happened before. That's where fear came in. A couple that had it all together suddenly were gripped by fear. Do you know, I don't have time to unpack it here, but they got something completely different than they bargained for. Heartache, pain, toil, and laboring. They got a heavy dose of death and hatred poured into their offspring. All because they wanted to feed the ego. They listened to the lie of, I will, I will, I will. The question for all of us is, do we have an ego problem? I admittedly would say yes. Maybe we're not Benedict Arnold or Haman, the political advisor. That's certainly true. Their egos cost them everything. But let me ask you this. Let's think about this practically. Do you argue about being right over choosing relationship? Do you take everything personally? Do you have a problem saying you're sorry? Do you have a problem recognizing your faults? Do you criticize others to lift yourself up? Do you have to be the first? And do you have to be the topic of conversation? Is nothing ever good enough for you? Do you crave respect? Are you defensive? Are you a know-it-all? Is it all about you? As I end this podcast, we're to lay self aside and depend wholly on the Lord. We are to love unconditionally. We are to practice forgiveness daily. We are asked to let it go and to have a fresh start each day. We are asked to be honest with ourselves and each other and bring that to the Father. The Bible says that He is the author and finisher of our faith. We can't depend on ourselves alone to correct our ego. We have to ask for His help. And the good news is that the Bible also says that He who began a good work in you, He will complete it. We need to let go of that control and let the Father have it. We're to put no confidence in the flesh, but rather esteem others higher than ourselves. Jesus taught us that the greatest commandments were to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. If we focus on those two things, there are no other laws we need to follow. When we strive to keep these commandments, we take the focus off ourselves and we place it where it so rightly belongs. Leslie White, a journalist, said, In the Christian life that is devoid of ego, the I will becomes a thy will. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.